You're listening to a Radio 1 91FM podcast. Hi. Hello. Welcome, Welcome to, to Required, Required Reading. Reading. I'm Charlie. And I'm Amy. And we are two unqualified Otago students. And in this podcast, we discuss books and sometimes their adaptations, mostly so we can avoid our uni work. On this episode of Required Reading, we are doing something a little bit different. We're talking translated fiction. That's right, we're talking Nits, the surprisingly concise works of Leo Tolstoy, Eating Meat, and of course, Rumple Dump. <laughs> if you want to find out more, stay tuned. <laughs> Are you ready to go? Yeah, I don't know how this is gonna go. I I feel like it's gonna go. It's gonna go well at this well, point. We're, we're, yeah. we're seasoned professionals. Oh, we're season three professionals. Thank you very much. Uh, You're so right. Yeah. So, hey, um, today's kind of a weird one. It is. We're being experimental. Yeah. We're trying new things. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because not a single book that we're going to talk about today we've both read. Yeah. They're all going to be separate books, um, but it's all going to be based around one theme. Which is um, translated fiction. Yes, correct. Essentially, we're being brave because we really don't think that people think about books that weren't written in English enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also, when we think of translated books, I don't think we, like, and we'll get into this a bit later, like, we don't give the right amount of, like, credit to the act of translation. Yeah, because I think the act of translation and the idea of liking a translated novel yeah. is inherently fascinating to me because whose work am I loving? You know, you're yeah. loving... It's truly a mixture of the two. And look, I have some points to make surrounding that with mm-hmm. one of the books I'll talk about, but, you know, I'm getting... Ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm too tight. I'm, I'm feeling I'm really I'm so tight. Tense. I'm t- I'm tight. And, you know, I think we need a fun fact. But the problem is... <laughs> yeah. We don't have anything to base the fun fact around today. Yeah. So instead what we're going to do is we're going to play a game that we used to play in my... In an hour. I was there too. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> in, in our old flat. flat. That's like when, when your sibling is yeah, like, my dad. my dad. And you're like, he's our my dad, dad too. <laughs> yeah. um, so in our old flat, we used to play, just like end of the day, it would, yeah. we would ask each other, so how have you furthered the gay agenda today? Yeah. You know, so so Amy, how have you furthered the gay agenda today? <laughs> um, I'm actually wearing a Christmas jumper and it's September. And I'm wearing it because I realised that in a few weeks I can't wear it anymore because then it will be serious and it won't be ironic. No, exactly. And I'm not. I'm not into Christmas. No, I'm just into this Christmas jumper when it's out of context. Very lesbian of you. <laughs> um, have you seen that lesbian Christmas movie with Kristen Stewart in it? Um, yes. I thought you were going to say Carol, and I was like, yeah, that's sad. No, not that movie. Look, I actually have no thoughts about the lesbian Christmas movie. I don't even know what it's called. Do you remember that time you came into my room, and you said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm watching lesbian films. (laughs) And you thought I was watching Carol. And I was like, all right, I'll leave you alone then. And I was like, no, no, I'm just watching Carol. (laughs) I'm just watching Yearning. That is lesbian porn. Yeah. My how I furthered the gauge into today is just exist. I no, but that's too easy. Yeah, you're that's right. That's too easy. I have to do something um a bit more active than that. Or 
or the opposite. Um, how I furthered the gay agenda today is, do you know what I have not done today? What have you not done today? I have not gone for a single mountain bike ride. <laughs> not a single mountain bike ride. Do you think... So Charlie once pressured me into doing the Mototapu mm-hmm. um, bike race. Yeah. Which I'm eternally grateful for. I like mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Which is not very straight woman of me. No, not very... That's giving by. I think mount- downhill mountain bikers are just bisexuals. You know what I mean? Women are. I mean, think about it. When I was doing mountain biking... What stage of life was I in? You were in the closet. I had a girlfriend. Yeah, you had a girlfriend. <laughs> okay, things have so, changed. So, I'm not saying causation, but I'm saying correlation. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I think I think causation. You think that mountain biking turned you gay? That motor tarp no, turned you gay? No, it kept me straight. Oh, the second yeah. I gave up mountain biking, I was like, <laughs> the wonderful world of men. <laughs> but there's so oh. many hot men that mountain bike. So that's a big reason why I do mountain biking. Yeah. They're so hot. I'd rather watch the surfers. Yeah, but this but the surfers are so far away. Like I love watching the surfers. Perfect. But I, Unattainable. I think, I think the my far favorite off. thing about men doing sports with other men is how they're emotionally vulnerable with each other. And that turns hug? me on. Yeah. That's hot. That's hot. A man crying. Hold on, you're being very straight. Sorry, right now. sorry, you're sorry. Be- stop that. <sighs> my God. Sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> we're talking about translated fiction today. Yeah. And we thought that we would start with kind of what makes translation so nuanced. interesting, nuanced, but also um fascinating and sometimes funny. Yeah. Is so we've all we've all heard of Dracula. Yeah. By Bram Stoker, haven't we? Yeah. Famous novel. Yeah. Famous. And it's been translated into many, 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 yeah, many languages, many languages. Um, a lot of them. And one of those translations was Icelandic. Yeah. Okay. And this Icelandic translation existed for a long time. And then all and of I'd a like sudden- I'd like to say that like, it existed for a long time and it was studied as Dracula in Iceland, like it was a big deal. It was dra- like everybody it people was knew it as Dracula. Accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then somebody who spoke, and then like hundreds of years later, some it was like a hundred <laughs> thousand. I'm mil- just trying to make this story good. Okay, <laughs> it was 100 a hundred. A long later. time later, <laughs> this guy was like, "Hold on, hold on a second. This isn't Dracula. <laughs> this is." This is a completely different story. It's completely different. <laughs> it's not the same at all. And nobody had like figured out because like the people reading Icelandic Dracula were not really the people that were critically engaging with English language Dracula. Yeah. Um, and it turned out that the the translator for Jack Dracula when he translated it, he took some liberties. Uh-huh. And by liberties, he rewrote the entire story. It was like fan fiction. Like it was completely but he, different. But he was smart because he kept it just similar at it enough that if an Icelandic person was speaking to somebody else who'd read Dracula, it yeah, would kind of make the sense. Points yeah, existed. it was just like a lot more sexual. <laughs> yeah, it was a real sexy book. Just a lot weirder. Weirder you things You know, when occurred. I heard about this, I was like, fuck, I've got to learn Icelandic. Like, I was Seriously, like, I, I need like, to read it. the time. Can, but then I want the Icelandic Dracula to then be translated back into to English. English. Yeah. You know? But then here's... I'd that, pay and, for that. This is always the problem with translation yeah you know how do we actually know that we're reading something that 
really resembles the original text. Well, I think it's like quite hard to conceptualize because most people are, are single language speaking people, mm-hmm. monolingual, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a really great example of like, just so you understand where we're coming from, yeah, is like Harry Potter, yeah, which famously we've we won't, won't do an episode. No, we we've won't. had a lot of people for lots of for reasons. One. Is that this? So many reasons. This is the most Harry Potter you're going to get. This and is it's Harry Potter for you. Strictly okay. around translation. So Harry Potter's been translated into over sixty languages, and the funny thing about this is that um a lot of them have been done illegally. Like they're not like accepted Harry Potters, but even so, like nobody really looked at the trans. Like I think that's ki- kind of something that happens when a big, a really big blockbuster book is translated. Mm-hmm. Is that like the translator gets a lot of liberty, like. It's not like the original author can read the translation. Yeah, exactly. The author can't be like, no, that you haven't captured the essence of the scene or whatever. And this is something I didn't understand until I was an adult. But like translation is not, it's not like Google Translate. It's not, you don't plug something in and it comes yeah. out the right language. Like languages are so incredibly complex and all have these like turns of phrase that exist for our language. And we assume they exist other places, but they absolutely don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And so the first interesting thing about Harry Potter is Harry Potter was translated into English in America. They had to translate it into American English and change some of like the major things. How despicable like is that? Like when Harry is like eating terrible food at the Dursleys, they had to change it into food that American children wouldn't want to eat. Like, isn't that so America to like God. take a book that's like perfectly legible? It's like the same as how they're remaking Broadchurch. With the same actor. With David Tennant still in it. That is absurd. But America loves to do that. America goes, I'm going to take every single thing from overseas and then cheapen it and pump it back out. But the thing with Harry Potter that's really interesting is like the first thing is that a lot of the words have like double meanings. Like all of the names carry like loaded meanings that we don't necessarily think about. Like you've got Sirius. Sirius. No. <laughs> More the constellation, you know. Harry. And you've got Lupin, obviously, Latin roots, wolf. Yeah. That exactly. one. Some of these some of these you look at again and you go, Oh, but obvious actually, JK. Ooh. Yeah. Um Severus Snape is a good example because like that really Severe. It's exactly. It's really severe. <laughs> I'm just doing word association. Exactly. And yeah. Snape's kind of sounds like snake, like it's giving. So yeah. how do you translate that when when the sound of the word is not the same? So like in France, um, French, the French version in France, French. The French version in France. The French version in France in French. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. His name is Severus Rogue. Because like rogue means arrogant. So, like, it's a less literal translation. It's more like you're translating his, like, feeling. Mm. But the but his name in Italian is Severus Python, as in Python. So you're getting the snake side of it. Interesting, Instead of, like, the it? envious thing. So, yeah. you, like, you can kind of see, and even, like, house names, all of these house names, like, um, I can't remember any of them right now. Dursley? Dursley. No, that's not a house. Shut up. <laughs> Look, I famously remember nothing from any sort of like law universe. See, this is the thing. Charlie you know? is not into law. He doesn't want to do it. No, he, ha- he just no. like doesn't I engage. I study law. He likes law. Yeah. L A W. But, but does I not, not like L O R E. Yeah. Yeah. Not not for me. So, um, something drive. Windows drive. Prefer no. it. 
that son of my calf. That's what we call grandma's house. That's my grandma's house. <laughs> um, but even like Diagon Alley. Yeah. That's a play on di- diagonally, which I think is stupid. Like, that what, is stupid. what is that? Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But then, like, think about you've got these words that, like, don't have any kind of, like, connotation and they don't have any meaning. And then you words like Quidditch. Like, do you translate that? I don't know. Like, it depends on the translator. The translator gets to decide. Do you want to guess what um, Quidditch is called in Norwegian? What is it called? Um, It's called... <laughs> Rumple dump. <laughs> Rumple dump. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's called Rumple dump. <laughs> but how does it give the same vibe? But see, this is what I find interesting because I'm quite used to reading in English books. Like if I'm reading in a book written in English, mm-hmm. and there's like, like let's say it's about a Korean woman, okay, yeah. and they bring up aspects of Korean society, I'm pretty used to them using. Korean words for it. Yeah. So I find it interesting that they wouldn't just keep Quidditch because it's a made-up English word. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Because you literally can't translate I think, it. I think it's just like that really shows the fact that you have to. But also, in the same in the same breath, Rumble Dump is... Rumble Dump is way better. It's way better, and it also makes complete sense. <laughs> it makes so much sense. <laughs> um, but there's also, like, she does a lot of kind of anagrams. Like, you've got, like, I am Marvelo. Yeah. What is it, Tom Marvelo Riddle? What are you saying? What? I don't know. I am Marvel. I am Lord Voldemort is an anagram. <laughs> For I am Marvelo, which is... Tom Marvelo Riddle. Yeah. yeah. I'm I don't so, know. Like, I'm just over, I'm I'm overflowing with, like, hatred for J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> um, the final thing I wanted to talk about with Harry Potter is that there's this, like, problem where you have a book, right? And you have, like, somebody speaking in an accent and it's written phonetically in their accent, like Hagrid. Mm-hmm. How do you translate that into French? Like, which subcategory of like French accent will you choose? See, I wonder if they try to choose a similar kind of dialect analogous. within, yeah, within France. Yeah, I think it would be. But even that isn't that fascinating because it's like connected <sighs> to connotations of like yeah. wealth and like Absol- wealth, wealth, wealth in it. Um, but it, no, it absolutely is. It's connected to class. It's connected to race. Yeah. It's connected to all sorts of like really complex social structures that make up an accent. Yeah. And so I find it fascinating. I But I also don't know if that's true. Like, I don't know if they do try find, you know, a, a region that's similar. See, they probably do if like translating it into like a, American English because there's so many different accents in America that they do probably no, try see, to they, find they, one. That's the thing that's strange about the American translations is is that they're not translating it so it exists in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in it's in the UK and like Hagrid is still. Oh no, no, no! I don't mean Harry Potter. I mean like oh, other, anything if, else. Any, any yeah, other book. from like yeah. French into American. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I, I find that fascinating. Ugh. Interesting, but also kind of on on accents. Yeah. And and sort of the American English dichotomy. Yeah. Um, Amy and I were talking the other day. Look, we've been watching Lord of the Rings, yeah. and we've been watching Hot D because who House hasn't? Of the Dragon. Who will. hasn't? Yeah. They're f- fucking fabulous. Seriously. And we were, we we said, if you are watching something that in fantasy lands, yeah, there cannot be a single American <laughs> no, accent. They're not. Everybody has to be English, Scottish if they're in the north, if yeah. they're from anywhere north of yeah. like the oh, normal. I'd say Irish. Uh, same. <laughs> that, and, and, and in fantasy, same. Irish, Scottish, same. But if you're from overseas, 
anywhere apart from the mainland, yeah. European. Yeah. I'm talking exactly. Spanish, Italian. Yeah. That, those people, but no Americans. Where are the Americans? They're in space. Yeah. Science fiction. Yeah, space. Okay? Like Star science, Trek. Star Wars. And like dystopian. Because yeah. America will destroy the world. Of, and like makes that's sense. why it makes sense. They would colonize the galaxy, and you know? And like, you know... <laughs> England is an old imperial force. Absolutely. This is not to say that like we wouldn't watch like I I would love fantasy that was like French and I would watch that and that would be like all good. Just Americans aren't allowed to do it. No. You're not allowed. No. It's not for you. I think it's good to really have that line in the sand. Yeah. You know, you know that, that's is, where I'm drawing. That's we my go, boundary. We go, we will accept you up to here. Yeah. If you cross that, all hell's going to break They can be American ac- actors, you know, but they cannot use their accent. No. Absolutely God, no. cannot be done. You know, one other thing that really, that I find fascinating about translation yeah. and kind of something that you were talking about before with like um, words that sound, you know, like diagonally sounds like yeah. diagonally. <laughs> diagonally <laughs> sounds like diagonally. Oh. Um kind of makes me think about translating poetry yeah like how on earth can that work because poetry is so seeped in yeah the specific phonetic sounds the rhythm yeah. of a language yeah. the way that people breathe within like speaking even of the, a certain language even the kind of um meter in which they speak exactly and it, it's so specific yeah. to that so i'm like how can that possibly be translated? And it's that is fascinating to me. It's like the the dedication, yeah, that that takes is yeah. actually insane to me. Like that is that it must be. I reckon that is incredibly in- impressive translation. If because people can it's do even that. like if you think like um, Middle English, like you have to tra- translate that into English. It's still English. Like you can read it. You can read yeah. Middle English, but you have to translate it. But the words. You need the words to mean the same things as they do in the original, yeah, but the yeah. meaning of the original words are steeped in what that meant six thousand, not six thousand, six hundred years 46, ago. 000. Like, like it's the meaning of the word is different now, so you can't just swap it in for its like counterpart. You have to use a word that makes sense. It's got in, a specific historical context, exactly. Yeah. But then you still need that word to to rhyme with the next line. I know, I know. Um, and I think that that's really interesting. And I just, I, I, I'm not somebody that writes poetry. I'm not somebody that really gets, like, I do get it in a kind of structural, academic, academic way. way yeah. But like, I don't, I don't know how one goes about to write that, let alone write it in a different language. Or even like Shakespeare. How the fuck do people translate Shakespeare? It's yeah. complicated enough in English. And that's really interesting because like, Shakespeare is written in iambic pentameter, which yeah. is what essentially, like, it it's tries to mimic the, the ry- rhythm that English speakers use. Yeah. So you translate into that to another language that doesn't use iams. Like, how? How? How can you do it? And so, like, all of Homer is in, what is, I wrote this down. So the Iliad is mm. written in diatelic hexameter, which is not something that English people, what? yeah. Diatelic hexameter. hexameter. Yeah. Oh. So pentameter means there's like ten feet in each line, and hexameter means there's five. And I yeah. don't know what diatonic means. <laughs> I've got to revise that before my exam. <laughs> but I don't know what that means. But like, who cares? Make it up. What do you is, think it means? Um, Just di- diatonic. It's kind of, it's it's a um, respiratory disease. <laughs> I've got dialysis. I've got dialysis. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but like even that, like we don't like when they first tr- started to kind of translate that. Yeah. Like English into English in like fifteen hundred when Chapman translated it. You have to translate it from from that, which we don't speak in, mm. to still that, like retain that, even though we don't use it. It's fascinating. So that is really fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's really interesting, one of the books I want to talk about today, it is originally in French, mm-hmm. and the author, Hervé Le Tellier, mm-hmm. um, he belongs to the school of thought called the, I'm going to butcher this, sorry, Lulu Sullivan <laughs> in France. No, go, go. <laughs> Um, Give it your best French shot. Willy Pion. Yeah, I I I feel I feel pretty good about that actually. Willy Pion. Will Willy Pion. <laughs> School of writing, which essentially was set up in the 1920s by these guys that wanted to make their life really fucking difficult. Um, he belongs to the school of writing, which essentially the ethos is to create within restraint. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like um, like performance art. Mm. And I remember when I was doing creative writing last year, I was telling you about. How this there's this the one poet I can't remember what his name is, but he essentially like wrote this entire novel without using an a, like an a anywhere, like no oh, yeah, words that had right. a's in it, and then somebody had to translate that. How on had, earth? Yeah, you know, can't. Um, and so he belongs to the school of thought. So the anomaly, this book that was published like two years in 2020, um, essentially it's filled with anagrams and wordplay and puzzles and rhyme. Yeah. And it's been translated into 47 languages. And what was really interesting, to give an introduction to the book, it was really, it's one of my kind of rare 10 star reads. I loved it. It's it's about a flight from Paris lands in New York after this unprecedented storm. And all of these characters get off the plane. And then three months later, this same flight with the same people go through the same unprecedented storm. Storm and land in New York, but the people exist in the world. Interesting. So there's these duplicates. Fascinating, isn't that fascinating? And you're like, <gasps> it sounds like an anomaly. It is. You're so right. It was. It was <laughs> abnormal, if you will. It was an anomaly, and so like even the anomaly, the title is a play on like the guy that wrote this. He was originally a mathematician. Mm-hmm. So he loves these puzzles, but how do you, how do you possibly? I literally that? have no idea. And the thing what he did that was like the thing what he did, <laughs> the thing no the thing what you did the thing what he did was that he translated in real time. He had all of his translators working at the same time, and he was actively collaborating with while all of he was them. writing it. I don't think it was while he was writing it. I think he had like blocks of, of work to give to them and then he worked with them in real time before it was published. Wow. To like work out these things. And the majority of these translators could retain the same like amount of syllables in a sentence and the right alliteration and like but hardly any of them could retain the rhyme. Yeah. That was required. And it's also interesting because like this book is like it's just interesting this divide between America and Britain. Like, there's an American English vers- version, and then there's a British English version. America needs to get over Seriously. themselves. Seriously. Um, and the other thing about this book that's really interesting is that one of the characters is actively a tra- he translates. He's he, he within the story. He's a writer who write. He's French, and he writes in French. And what he does to make money is he translates American books into French. And it's so explicit. And even, he, so he he's one of the characters that gets off the plane 
and he writes this book, which is in the book called The Anomaly. Okay, I'm getting meta vibes. It is. <laughs> um, and he, he ends up dying. Oh. But the guy, like, he, he lands on the plane again. And he exists, and he comes back to, like, fame of this book that he hasn't written. It's so fascinating. It's such a good book. Apart from it, it did Whoa. destroy me a little bit because um, it really dove into the idea that life is a simulation. <laughs> and right. that nothing is real. <laughs> Matrix vibes. There's some metaphysics in there, and I uh, that scared me. As we know, yeah. Amy, she, look, she, she's a big critical thinker. I'm a big thinker. D- doesn't mean she wants to do it. All the time? No. You know? No. She needs her breaks. I, my okay? boundary is space. I don't I don't want to think about space. Oh, space the thing. The space the thing. Rather than space I, the concept. Not the... Like, that's fine. Like, personal space. Your personal space, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But outer space? No, oh, it makes me I don't like to vomit. think about it. And the fact that it goes on forever? It goes on forever. But what is it expanding but where the, where into? Is it go, but what, where is it expanding there must be into? Some you sort can't of... expand into nothing. It's getting bigger. But... Uh, <laughs> Have you heard of black matter? No, antimatter. Antimatter. Absolutely. How is antimatter the? How is it the opposite of matter? Exist. I don't how get does it. That happen? It's the opposite of something existing. But it can't existing? be the same thing at the same time. Like what? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah. So this book is really interesting, especially within translation, because you're reading it, you're aware it's a translation, and it's like telling you about translation yeah. and about how these ideas can't possibly exist at once. Um, that is fascinating. You know, uh, something kind of similar that I was, was touching on before mm-hmm. is this idea of like, yeah, how difficult translation is and sort of the complications around yeah. it. And one of the books that really made me realize this and kind of is what inspired me to kind of want to record an episode like this yeah. was Norwegian Wood. Yeah. Um, by Murakami. Yeah. Um, oh, do you want to know the best story ever? <laughs> what? So we were going to do a Murakami episode. Um, and we obviously haven't. This is the episode. <laughs> um, we didn't do but it. But I went into my, my favourite independent bookseller, Bayhill Books in Timaru, mm-hmm. and I said to Renee, who I absolutely love, and I said, hey, hey, have you got Norwegian wood? And she said, yeah, it's been so popular. It's like so many people have been buying it for Christmas presents. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, it came out a long <laughs> time like, ago. That's, that's great. Like, I guess like Norwegian wood is happening. And it did, it was actually kind of happening at the yeah. time. And um, she goes over, she gets, she goes onto the sh- shelf and it's not a shelf that I would expect it to be on. And I'm like, oh, is she get, and she hands me this book and I look at it and it's like a hardback and it's blue. And I'm like, mm, this book's supposed to be read. And the book's Norwegian Wood, The Art of Drying, Chopping, and Stacking Fragrant Woods. <laughs> but do you know what? Why was it that super popular? Oh, it was just really popular. <laughs> People really wanted to know. This, it was a really good book. Yeah. No, pe- apparently it was actually like, like Renee had read it. She was like, yeah, it's surprisingly profound. And I was like, and I just had to be like, because it was so funny. I almost wanted to just buy it because it was funny. It would have been funny if we had recorded a Norwegian Wood episode, but we had both read different Norwegian words and we had and to I try was, to like. But in my Norwegian Wood. <laughs> yeah. And I had to say, oh, no, I mean, by Murakami. And she was like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah I kind of thought it was a bit weird <laughs> that you wanted to know how to drive would have it would have been a shocking yeah. um, career shift from you to go into chopping wood but I've done woodworking in my time chopping wood yeah I've chopped wood really absolutely I have well, I lived wow. out at the, I lived at this that place oh you yeah know? you're a farm girl yeah no 
It was a lifestyle block, thank you. <laughs> We're very proud of that. <laughs> but anyway, so Mur- Norwegian Murakami. one. Nor- Norwegian one, Murakami. Fabulous book, fabulous book. And yeah. the thing that I loved the most about it is the writing style. Mm-hmm. It was so poetic. Yeah. And the way that the the way that the sort of nature and cities are described are just absolutely gorgeous but in particular in particular the dialogue i found mm. really realistic and yeah. grounded and amazing but again i'm like this is different dialogue these also like these words and these sentences have different connotations in yeah. japan than they do here yeah you know like and Do you mean like it was different dialogue to what like you and I would say to each other? No. Or was it different in that like it hasn't retained the same meaning as the original version? What? <laughs> I mean, you said that there's this feeling of like it's the dialogue being different. Yes. And is it different because it like it doesn't sound like how we speak to each other? Or was it different in that you were you were cognizant of the fact that like the the meanings in the two different languages would be different? I think that it, it was different because it was a Japanese style of speaking, yeah. in the English language, yeah, absolutely, which was also just kind of and you noticed it. It's mm-hmm. sort of it was a way of speaking, especially if you've read a lot of books and you've read a lot of different forms of dialogue, you know, yeah. American, English, Australian, Fuck whatever. American dialogue, yeah, seriously. Yeah, disgusting. Um, but it felt so different and so unique, but so, like, it felt almost universal. Yeah. Because also, if you, like, the books are very, the characters are very, like, open with their feelings. And well, it's not surprising that it feels universal because it's kind of like you're you're filtering it through two lenses. Like I know, You're filtering yeah. it through a to- totally different cultural context. Yeah. And then you're translating it. Like, it's going to have something that, it's going to retain its different, like, its novelty. And we yeah. like things that are, we love not being like the other girlies. Yeah. She's um, unique. But at the same time, it's still being made palatable f- for you. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was fascinating. I I will briefly talk about Norwegian Wood in case you don't know kind yeah. of what it's what it's about. So, um, Norwegian Wood by Murakami. It follows a university student called Toro as he grows up in Tokyo and kind mm-hmm. of the different relationships that he forms with two different women. Um. And look, I'm going to be honest, most of the book was just kind of like lovely to read, but not much more. Yeah. But there is this section in the middle of the book. Yeah, I remember you telling me. That's probably like maybe a hundred pages and it's just this one chapter and it's when he goes into the countryside and he visits somebody mm-hmm. and... It has got to be one of the most beautiful and profound chapters I've ever read in my entire life. It should yeah. be, it could be a short story in and of itself. It was stunning yeah. and it's worth reading just for that. But I don't think this is going to be my favorite of his books. No, I think, yeah. I couldn't get into it. Yeah. It's but very I, slow. I, I've like read some other parts of Murakami. Yeah. And I like what he, I like I like his shit, you know? Like what he's doing. Like what he's doing. Yeah. But isn't it so fascinating that if somebody hadn't translated that, you would never be able to read it? I know. I know. And also, if somebody hadn't translated it well. Exactly. Because that's also something that's fascinating. Is like, 
good versus bad translations. Yeah. You know? And th- that is especially prevalent within, like, classic works. Funny you say that. Um, because translations are not created equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think we haven't really touched on the fact that, like, translation is interpretation. Like, Absolutely. Whoever's, who, whoever's interpreting that book is going to be interpreting the way that they understand language yeah. and, and culture. And briefly, this is why the the International Man Booker Prize, yeah. the prize money gets split 50-50 between the author and the translator. Because Fucking the translator, love that. I love it. Yes. Like finally, the translator is getting recognition for the, their art that they have created. Yeah, because that's exactly what they're doing. Just because they've got different, like a specific set of inputs, doesn't mean that they haven't had to do interpretation and. And know. for some people, like like with um, Lavalier, sorry. Um, for some people, it's it's a work of collaboration. Like yeah. this, like there's this guy called Ken Liu who he he now writes his own science fiction, but he worked for like twenty years as a translator from Chinese to English, yeah. and he was very collaborative collaborative with his writers because essentially all of these books were really had subversive themes mm. because you couldn't say anything very outright at the time in China. Yeah. And so he he had extensive collaboration with the people that he was working with because they were like, no, I want the themes to be overt yeah. in English because it can be. Yeah. It can be overt. And it's also the onus is not on me. You've translated it. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I want you to do it. So it was a collaboration. It was like a radical act of like translation. Cool. Isn't that cool? Radical um, translation. Radical. <laughs> um, but the one that I wanted to speak about, before I say this, think about how many times a classic has been translated, like hundreds of times. And who yeah. are the people that are mostly translating it? White men. Yeah. Highly educated white, white men. White men from like Harvard, Oxford, you know? And so like the, the sheer amount of bias that they are bringing to a story is absurd. Yeah. Like... The Odyssey, sorry to bring up so much Homer this episode, but I read it, so people have to know. (laughs) Um, But, like, that has only been published, but, like, one female translator has only ever been published for Homer. It's especially the case with um, the further back you go, the more flexibility there is in translation like when you look at homer there is literally like academic translations and enjoyment translations exactly yeah that is inherently fascinating that they're just completely different books yeah but like because there's so much room to play with but that's also interesting because like like i'm going to talk about anna karenina in a second but the version that i read was translated in 1918 and i think a lot of people are like well it's been translated yeah. So I don't need it doesn't need to be translated again. No. But like the language in which they speak, the meaning is still going to be there, but like the general and the, and probably the dialogue will be the same because it's accurate to the time period in which it was written. But yeah, like yeah. all of the description of things and all of like the feelings about things. There's so much interpretation and in translation. The, that like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean really briefly when I one of the books that I loved when I was um first really getting into reading yeah. was um, Madame Bovary yeah. by Gustave Flaubert. <laughs> what a serve. And the reason why I liked it so much is because it has been translated. It had been, the language had been kind of modernized. Yeah. Not to such a degree that, like, it lost its feel of, you know, 
um, the time period that it was written in. But to the an extent that it made it so much more enjoyable yeah. and easier for me to actually read it. So and some purists would be like, "That's not okay." Yeah, but I got. But I, I think that's awesome, and it allowed me to read it yeah. and actually have a good time. Absolutely, yeah. But isn't it interesting that we're having these conversations and we're talking about how important translators are? We yeah. haven't talked about any of the translators. Like no. we haven't said their names. Um. So for the anomaly, the translator was Adriana. Adriana Hunter. Okay. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, and the, the translators for Anna Karenina that I read, I was actually really surprised to find out that they were women. 1918, Louise and Alma Maud. Thanks, girls. Girl what boss. a slay. Yeah. <laughs> the ladies. But, yeah, so I read Anna Karenina this year, and I don't know what I was expecting, but I was thoroughly surprised by all of it. Like, you go into a classic. These days, one goes into a classic with, with a few kind of, like, there'll be some racism and there'll be some some misogyny and there'll be a bit of homophobia sprinkled in. Was there any in Tolstoy? Fuck no. No. Men crying left and right. What, like, like, the main characters are these incredibly dimensional women. Like, what a slay. He absolutely popped and, off. <laughs> and I know this sounds bad. Yeah. But... I think especially because it was Russian. I was expecting yeah. it to be worse. <laughs> I haven't read it. Well, like, serfdom was was only abolished, like, 20 years before he wrote this. Yeah. Like, Tolstoy, what the fuck? I, I know. You and icon. He just really, but it's so interesting because, like, no other book about this period. He's, he's writing about pre-revolution Russia. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, I think this is his only book that's, like, Take, takes place in the time period in which he lives. Like, War and Peace is about much earlier. And, like, um, my brain was going to say, well, he's not running now, so. No. <laughs> anyway. The, was... book, the books he's pumping out now are not very good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they're not great. And they're really hard to find. <laughs> I actually haven't, I haven't heard of many of them, They're really on the lowdown, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to know people. Yeah, if, if you, the girls who know. Nepotism, seriously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> girls who don't know. Um, but like he's writing about this really specific time in Russia and you would not get that it's still it's it's fiction but there's history in it like it's it's such a great resource to understand Russia and it's a way that you just wouldn't understand as like a British person looking into Russia and I also think that it kind of it was a great book to read and I read it just as the Ukrainian war was breaking out not good not good that's not even funny. It's Do you think not... there's going to be a nuclear war? I'm really worried about it. It's actually, it's actually really it's scary. seriously scary. But the Cold War happened and everyone was okay. That was different. It was but cold. My point. This one's hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. But it is. It's a bit di- funny. But it's different. It is, yeah. Um, but like seeing what we think, we collectively think of Russia today. Yeah. And then going and reading a book that was written hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And and it justified my like I just felt really stupid things and I felt different. really kind of like prejudiced. Like I had it's not even that things are different. It's yeah. just like that's an enormous country in which we hear very little from. Yeah. Well, but there are so many things like, and it's also like, yeah. But it's also like only until very recently, like I'm talking the last hundred years, was there even this conception of one unified. Russian nationality. Yeah. That didn't really exist no. before then. There were it's all like the of, USSR. Yes. Did that. Well, even beyond that, like even within 
what we would call Russia today. Yeah. There were so many different pockets of societies. Yeah. You know, like, because it's so fucking huge, it's, it's naturally enormous. going to happen. And so, like, people who are living in Siberia are not really going to consider themselves as sort of having the same sort of life yeah. as those who are living in St. Petersburg. Yeah. You know? Because Siberia is quite cold. Stop it. <laughs> It's really, it's known for its snow. But and yeah, I, I'm, I was just really, I, I loved it. It was beautiful. That's, that, I, that's also similar because you've read Madame Bovary, right? I haven't. Oh, because that's also quite shocking because. It is very shocking, isn't it? it's sexy. Well, this is sexy. And it's about a woman cheating on her husband yeah. with another man. Yeah. Unheard of in the 1800s. Well, this whole book is about a woman cheating on her husband. God. But this is also about like childbirth. Russia said like Russia and France really said, Hi, nice to meet you. Seriously, I just loved it. And you know what? People laugh at me when I say this, but it was surprisingly concise. I really liked the way that <laughs> no, was you written. can't you're not allowed to call it that. You it's, can't call it, it that. Is over nine hundred pages. <laughs> you, nothing it's that's like not concise. Of of audiobook. No. And you know, you briefly brought up just before. Yeah. Well, we were talking about cheating. And so I would like to pose a question <laughs> to the audience. No. Would you rather... <laughs> would you rather... Um, this is just something a, Charlie came up with yesterday, yesterday and posed to me. Yeah. Would you rather have a partner who every time you had something that was yummy, like a little snack, yeah, said, little oh, the, oh the, these are... What did I say? <laughs> these are you naughty? Said, oh, those are dangerous. Get them away from me. <laughs> yeah, those are dangerous. Get them away from me. But they say this every, every time. time. And without not fail. with irony. No, not, not, it's not They're ironic. Not being funny. They are being serious. And even if you say, hey, can you please stop saying that? They can't. Like, it's, it's, like, it's a compulsion. Yeah. They literally can't stop doing it. Or the alternative is they cheat on you. <laughs> just <laughs> once. Do they just cheat on you once and they do tell you straight pretty away. much straight away. Um, but at that point, you are in quite a serious relationship. You're living together. You're not, not even like in a flat, just you two. And I honestly think it's a hard one because I reckon, for me, cheating is... I, I would think, go with the cheating. I think what's tipped the scales for me, and I was very much like, oh, just... I can, I can deal with them saying that every time. But yeah. then... If they weren't, like, I think if they weren't aware of saying that, like, you could never talk to them about it. Because even if, like, I think that it wouldn't be like they c- couldn't stop doing it. It would be like they didn't know that they were doing it. Oh, I Like, c- it would be like talking and they'd be like, what do you mean? No, see, like, I, I would break up with you. If you, if somebody <laughs> did that, I would break up with you. I, a, cheat, a cheat is not an immediate breakup. We could, if we get through that hurdle, clear sailing. We're yeah, fine. so true. Anyway, um... You know, when you were talking about Anna Karenina... Are you circling back right now? I'm circling back. Cool. We're, you know, we're, we're going to go backwards. We thought, this, we thought this episode would be a bit like this. Yeah. You know, because we don't know who the other, what the other person has thought of the books. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about authenticity. Yeah. And you were talking about kind of the fact that when you read Tolstoy, you're transported back into a very specific time period. Yeah. Especially with Anna Karenina because it was his version of modern day. Yeah. Um, and that made me think of a book that I'm currently reading, which is a series of short stories and it's called, uh, the pen is the wing of a bird. Mm -hmm. And it's a collection, uh, of stories written by Afghan woman. 
in modern day. So I literally, they're, they're, and they've all been yeah. translated by Afghan women as well. I have no fucking clue how, how they, they got the stories out. How they managed to do any yeah. of this, to be honest. Um, but it is incredible. It's yeah. beautiful. But in particular, what I find interesting about it is recently I read A Thousand Splendid Sons mm, by Khalid yeah. Hossein. And that is a. So he is a Afghan American author. So he mm-hmm. wrote it in English. And the two books cover pretty similar themes in is terms he fr- of he's from afghanistan yes but, but is, he, is he, he left like he left grow up when he was it. young right yeah, so, he's, so he's like he's grown up he's grown up in america culture. yeah and it was written in english and yeah. like he hasn't lived in afghanistan since he yeah. was younger you know since he was like a kid yeah um and also he's not a woman yeah that, that'll yeah, do it and both both books really talk about Women. The treatment of women yeah. in Afghanistan pre-Taliban, um, during the Taliban, um, yeah. you know, all, all sorts of time periods. And while they are similar, there is a very distinct flavour to yeah. hearing these stories. Like, I, there's th- this immediate disjoint well, I think when I read it from him. It's also that you lose a whole lot of nuance when, you, when you're reading from somebody that's ju- like... Um, like if you're, we see things in a certain way and the culture that we live in. Yeah. And we see those things as true and we see them as like the truth, objective truth. Yeah. Like English speaking white people are obsessed with like objective truth. And it's like, that's not scientific or that's not, you know, whatever. And when you have somebody that's been raised in that culture, they see it that way. Yeah. 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 And so like often their writing will reflect that even if they're not trying, even if they're trying to put as much nuance in as possible. You cannot replicate the nuance that you don't understand. And that's also like, that's something that I experienced when I was reading his book. I was like, this is, these are true events that happen. Yeah. You know, which they do. But like, I took it for like, face value yeah whereas it's very different to read and also i think it's very important that the woman in this book the woman who translate these stories are afghan women yeah which means that they can capture Absolutely. the the nuance of what people are saying what people are implying how people are acting yeah so well did you want to yeah yeah so beautifully and absolutely I just reckon that that collection of stories is, is incredible. Is it kind of like a sorry? Is it like a similar kind of analogy to the like the conversation about American Dirt? Yes, it's very similar. So American Dirt was like really it blew up big time on Oprah's a big book on Oprah's book club book club. My brain was saying bookshop, and I was like, not that, that. doesn't seem right. No, um, <laughs> Oprah is the new biggest bookseller. Yeah, she's right. recently opened up an indie bookstore in Tiano. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> She is an independent bookseller, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um so she had this book, she had this author on about this book called American Dirt, which is essentially about like leaving um Mexico. Yeah, it's about refugees leaving. Yeah, it's fl- about making Mexico, the crossing asylum to, seekers. Asylum seekers to America. But it's written and it's written by a white woman mm-hmm. and she has worked at the border mm-hmm. and that's where she has got all of her stuff. And that's and it was I haven't read it, but I've known I know a lot of people that have read it, and they were like, "Yeah, it was really great." Yeah, but there was this conversation that went on from like Mexican American writers being like, "The fuck are you not listening to us about? Like, a white woman has to write this yeah. story." 
and they were like, we've written. I literally did it. Like, I, I, I did it. I, and I, I did it, and it. I wrote about my own experiences, and I that book was released last year. Where was Where, my shout-out, Oprah? Why are people publishing me? Yeah. And it's like, because you just don't, you you cannot. And, and the worst, I think one of the, the most insidious things is that we read a book like American Dirt, and we go, oh, I've lit. Like, we as in I've wi- educated something. white people. Yeah. Because we don't know anything, and, like, we're also not people that want to assume things. So we've read the book, and we go, oh, we've learned so much. Like, that's so, I've really opened my eyes. Yeah. And it's not until you read, like, um, what's the, Pen, my pen is the wing of a bird. Yeah, yeah. It's not until you read something like that that's like authentic, and you're like, "Fuck!" And you just feel this kind of like overwhelming, nuanced understanding because you're seeing something through a completely different cultural lens. And it was also what also adds to that sort of nuance and feeling of actual understanding and empathy and that like intense feeling of living. Yeah. in Afghanistan is the f- fact that it was written by lots of different women. Yeah. And the some I mean there was a, the stories are incredibly diverse and really the subject matter that they cover but there is like this underlying idea of what mm. sort of expectations and how yeah. difficult it is to just like literally stay alive just exist just to stay alive to and do I think the that, bare that, minimum that multifaceted you know? so many authors things is really important because yeah. like i think again white educated people are very much like well this is the book about this yes like this is the book like there's one book and you're seeing literally again, thinking one American like yeah i can totally see people even, like, I'm reading like, it and going yeah have you heard this is what happens when people are trying to cross the mexican border and it's taken from a, yeah. a, a specific fictional story that happened in american dirt you know like but people like take that and extrapolate that, that like, to the truth they teach us as children like the power of one and they're like apartheid yeah not good and you're like you grow up in it and you're an adult and you learn actually learn it, and you're like the fuck are they giving us that book for yeah you know bryce courtney yeah. Who are you? Couldn't get through. It was so boring. Was it Bryce Courtney? Was it? I don't know. Okay. Who cares? But then what I also find fascinating about this subject is, because it reflects a lot of what we are also seeing in like films, although that's more about representation. This is yeah. This is about telling authentic stories. But what I find really interesting about it is these white authors are like, oh, uh, okay, so I guess I just can't have any black authors now. And I'm like, can't no. Can't have any black authors? Characters. Sorry, I can't have any black characters yeah. now because I'm not black, therefore I can't have them. And I said, it's not like you're trying to authentically portray what a yeah. black person's experiences has yeah. been like being black. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can have a black character exploring anything else, a black character exploring space. They don't have to be thinking about their race. Yeah, they you can't. Know? That's you can't, fine. You absolutely you can have that. You can have that in your book. As long as it's make not... Make it seem as though you know what that what experience, that experience is, is like. And that's why American Dirt is so... That's why that book yeah, no, really so hit right. a nerve because it's specifically about the like, Mexican experience. This is the experience. And it's so inauthentic and yeah. like... Why should that be celebrated when that person has never experienced anything like that ever in their life? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. That was a tangent. <laughs> Sorry, that was a big tangent from me. <laughs> okay. Do you have any other books that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I think we have, we both have a book to talk about. And yeah. It's kind of got this, like, kind of 
sublimely weird vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're a, both there's kind of a strange. Of strange. So I'm going to say a bit about um, Convenience Store Woman yep. by Sayaka Morata. Um, and the translation is by Ginny Tapley Takemori. Um, it's a really short and interesting book. I read it probably like four years ago. Mm-hmm. It is it is fantastically weird and sublime and fantastic. So this book is about Kiko, who is mm-hmm. um, almost 40 and she works in a convenience store. <gasps> store. <laughs> um, and she's never fitted. She's never felt, like, at peace. She's very kind of strange. She's kind of bordering on, like, she's some kind of psychopathic thoughts sometimes that are just, like... Love it. And, and it's great. But she, like, the only time in which she's, like, felt really at ease... Like, living in the world is quite stressful for her because she just doesn't know how to behave. Yeah. Um. But, like, working at Smile Mart, which is the convenience store, she loves it because there's a uniform and there's, like instructions on how to treat people it's like very clear and great and she's worked there for 18 years and that's when the book starts she's like been working at the same convenience store since she was 18 and her family fucking hate that she's working in a convenience store they're like you're really intelligent you know like you, you could do something you else could do, get a real job yeah 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 Classic. And so th- that's kind of what the book is about her trying to like distance herself from the convenience store um but like things start spiraling it's this sharp criticism of the corporate world because it it really subverts the idea that like there's a certain type of person mm. that can permanently work in retail or hospitality. Yeah, because like we, it insinuates that there's a level of unintelligence yeah. and unambition yeah. that qualifies somebody for that sort of job, and that like that kind of job is only for smart people if it's temporary. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so those are the kind of things that she's dealing with. She's like, I'm actually really happy here. I really like working here. I don't here. need more money. I, I feel don't... like at ease in the cog of the machine. And there's also this kind of like um, dialogue about um, like collectivism. Oh. You know, so so like. I love collectivism. Collectivism unionism. versus. Oh. No, not unionism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, culturally. Oh. So like we live in okay. a very. So. So we live in a very individualistic cu- yes, culture. Do. It's like, what yeah. do I want to do? What are the things that make me, me, that kind of thing. But collectivism is is often more common in like East Asian cultures, that kind of thing, which yeah. is like... It's more common in most other cultures apart like, from... It is. Western. <laughs> we European. Suck. Anyway, so it's kind of like that. She's like, I've mm. got... But she feels like she is contributing to the collective because she's yeah, yeah. working in this store that helps people do their jobs. Um, and, like, the other thing that's really great about this book is that she's... The, the title is very obviously... It's, it's a very obvious title, Convenience Store Woman. But the actual thing is that she, like, turns herself into a convenience store when she attempts to please all of the people around her. And yeah. she attempts to please them in a palatable way that they want and they want on their time and they want to understand. She is quite literally a convenience store. She is, exactly. A woman. And so, like, this book kind of dares you to, like, accept her for being, like, a bit freaky and, like, and accept the fact that she's really happy working in a convenience store and all of these things. And at the same time, it's, like, deeply criticising late-stage capitalism. Love it. Like, it's like she wouldn't have this lie. Like, this wouldn't exist unless we weren't in this kind of, like, slightly dystopic. But there's... The thing about this book is, like, the way that it's written, 
the only way that I can kind of describe it is it feel the writing feels like fluorescent lights. Like the tone. Interesting. The tone and like the lyricism is the same feeling that like fluorescent lights have. Like it's this kind of like shallow, like not even sh- like it just feels artificial. Yeah. Cheap. But intentionally. Like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so well done. And you don't notice it until you're like, fuck, that book really felt different. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that, like, we just don't get that. No, no, we really don't. You know? And within our own culture. And obviously this book means, like, it will mean a lot of really different things within its own cultural context. Because, like, all of the meaning is, like, there'll be some meaning that can't be translated, that kind of thing. But it's just like it had this insanely unique voice and this very like kind of eerie, uncanny feeling. It was awesome. It was such an awesome book. Like you came away from it being like, fuck, I'm feeling. And that was like it. Like it was just like, you know, really stuck with me. A book that is kind of similar. Yeah. um, But also not similar at all. It's similar in the way that it is absurd. Um. But again, in a very different way. I'm talking about The Vegetarian. Um, so The Vegetarian is by Han Kang, and it won the Man Booker Prize, um, the International Man Booker Prize, a few <laughs> years ago. Her and the translator, Deborah Smith. Deborah Smith is a really famous translator for Korean authors. Mm-hmm. Um, she's famous for like her really in-depth analysis and kind of like her intense way of translating like yeah she goes and she lives with the author and like kind of pesters them fuck that's awesome you know until she gets it perfect yeah um and this book is i don't even really know how to describe it okay so it follows a a a woman a woman she is a homemaker mm-hmm. and she's got a husband obviously Obviously. Yeah. How heteronormative of you. She's a woman. She has a husband, obviously. (laughs) Obby. You misogynist pig. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Obviously, she's not a lesbo. I would have said that initially. (laughs) I would have said that before anything else. I would have gone, this is a lesbian book. Sorry. (laughs) This is my lesbian film. (laughs) Yeah. I've been watching lesbian films. I've been watching lesbian Um, films. And all of a sudden, yeah. she stops eating meat. Mm-hmm. That's all she does. Crazy. She becomes vegetarian. Yeah. And this kind of freaks out her husband. Her husband's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why, why are you vegetarian? Yeah. She's like, I just don't want to eat meat anymore. And I can't, you cannot make me. And then things occur. Shocking She things? starts, yeah. She starts changing. Kind of in very dramatic ways. Mm -hmm. And really what it's about is it's about being incredibly transgressive. Mm -hmm. It's about going against the grain in a way that is completely normal and hurts nobody. And what I also found particularly fascinating is the idea of going vegetarian as being sort of antisocial, yeah. In a way, because in, for example, New Zealand, 
completely normal yeah. to be a vegetarian. This isn't an old book. It was written like 2016. Being vegetarian was a pretty normal thing to happen here. And we assume that that's the same for other places, but it's not. It's absolutely not. I recently, yeah. I went to Korea um, backpacking with my friend. Actually, probably in like a similar time yeah. with, that this book was written. And I was vegetarian at the time. Me, both me and Laura was. Hi, Laura. Um, and it was impossible yeah. to find vegetarian food. Yeah. It literally doesn't exist. Um, and usually that occurs, um, I, we le- I learned this in economics, mm-hmm. it generally occurs when a country experiences rapid economic growth mm-hmm. and therefore they can um, afford to have sort of really efficient farming mechanisms and they can also yeah. afford meat. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. and so generally, the society becomes hugely meat-based. This happens yeah. a lot. This happened in like uh, Japan, China, um, Thailand, Thailand. Yeah, yeah. Because the the Thai Korea. restaurant that I worked at, they always oh, fucking love you, Sukhothai. They would always give me a full meal every shift that I yeah. worked, and I would be like, I, I don't really eat. I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't really eat meat if it's not like purposeful i don't know not not even that like you just don't need i just that don't much. really eat that much meat and but it i would be like oh can i get that vegetarian and they would be like no like obviously we'll give you the meat but like it was a it was an act of like love to be like given the meat yeah like it was very important to them they really couldn't understand why i wouldn't want to eat meat and that is what this book so yeah. perfectly captures how how this is completely left like they view it as it's really radical no no it's 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 seen as the same way as if some if if she had said i want to kill myself really yeah that like that level of oh she's lost her mind like she needs she's gone she's gone off the deep end like i'm not kidding the 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 severity that they treat her deciding to become a vegetarian is intense yeah and it's about just a woman finding these little aspects of freedom and the ways that she can actually mm. what she can control in her mm-hmm. life and again it's interesting because they're ways that we take fully for granted it's not even like taken for granted because that like has the connotation that it's like like it has like granted as a judgment value it's just that things are different in a mm. way that we can't conceptualize yeah unless we like engage with it it's seeped in it's seeped in cultural yeah. context that I'll never understand. Yeah. Which is what but made it so interesting. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting and it's dark and it is gritty and it's fascinating. Yeah. And it is short. It's also probably around I the love same a size. Short book. Yeah, it's like maybe 150, 170 pages. Fabulous. Highly recommend. Completely absurd. Crazy. Loved it. The, the last thing I kind of want to touch on is just syntax. Yeah entertain me yeah. for a moment because like every language has a different syntax like words are constructed yeah in different ways and like i think a lot of english speaking people will be like oh but the right way is this way which it's not like that's not how a language works but to, to like tr- like even maori has a different syntax in english yeah so you say things in different orders but the way that that comes out when you like translate something and it kind of almost retains that like different syntax I think that's part of why translated work feels so interesting. Yeah. Like I think that's why, and still don't laugh at me, I found Tolstoy really concise. <laughs> but I don't mean he was concise in the length of the story. That story is real fucking long. 
But like the way that concise he concise in his writing style, his writing style was incredibly concise. Yeah, and he didn't yeah, really yeah. use that many adjectives, and I love that. You know, Ugh. you know, I love some writing that's we really that. fucking yeah, dry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dry, dry and to the point, and to the point. Yeah, and like it, yeah, it went on for nine hundred pages of that, and so you get through an entire like. But it really you go felt through a lot. It really felt the style felt very different. And I read a bit of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, and it's a similar kind of style of writing. Yeah, where it's this very like clipped, and then like like um, the anomaly, like this French writing, like French is really famously pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> very like pre- like actively a pretentious like intellectual culture where it's like mm-hmm. I know all of these things and I can say it in this way but I'm going to like drop them as hints like that yeah. kind of thing and like the anomaly kind of pushes against that but at the same time it's really higher concept like things that I'm like this is crazy of you to just put it into like a genre book yeah but it's not he's transcending transcending genre but like it's just yeah so I think that that's also really interesting that's fascinating yeah yeah syntax cool. am I right so- all right, so we're now going to move on to um, judge a book by its cover. And now for the part of the show where Charlie and Amy literally judge a book by its cover. This is this part of the show where we... Um, we judge well, a book. Yeah, yeah, we do. And but we, we like judge it just by its cover. Well, yeah, we don't actually look at the book. It's not in front of us. Like, we haven't read it. Um, so, look, today we've got a book called um, called Nets. Um so, Amy, <laughs> what are we looking at? Yeah, so, yeah, this is a surprise. <laughs> um, where did you find this? Did I'm you just, just like, the Google the author of the <laughs> best-selling Poo-Bum. <laughs> well done, Stephanie Blake. Where did you find this? You'll never know. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just really... <laughs> so, last week we had a cover that was quite thought-provoking yeah and was quite hard to like have this is simple and i like it it's it's a very shocking and vivid pink mm-hmm. like hot pink oh yeah like barbie but like hotter like, yeah. like oh it's, yeah it's yeah it is a bright pink and yeah at the top it says in like quite small um writing author of the best-selling poo bum and it looks like the P and the B for Pooh Bum are not only um, capitalized, but also in bold. Yeah. Just the P and the B. Okay. Yeah. So just feel that. In your just brain. so you know. Underneath in black. So that writing is in, in white. And underneath that in black, you've got bigger, bold Stephanie Blake. Okay. Mm-hmm. And moving down, we see a little bunny. <laughs> <laughs> a little cartoon a rabbit. A cartoon rabbit. Think budget Miffy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like a Miffy, but not good. No. You know? But, like, in the scheme of things, pretty good. And so we've got this little rabbit, and he's wearing, like, a kind of, like, I'm just using my, I've just realized I'm using, <laughs> I'm using my hands to, to just Kind of like a, almost like a superhero like a, mask? Yeah, or like a, like a robber's. A robber's. Like a, burg, a burglar but mask. But not full face. No. Just the little, just over the eyes. Yeah, so just over the eyes, and it, the bunny is looking, like, up, kind of, like, looking up at the... Author of the best-selling Puma, <laughs> and um, and the mask is blue. The bunny is white, and it's got its little hands out to its side, and it's like ah, like that, that's what yeah, it looks yeah, like. Yeah. And it's wearing a blue top and blue pants that seem to 
go all the way down to the um, feet, like yeah, Balenciaga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, he's fashion forward. The Balenciaga heel and that shadow there is Kanye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the sh- yeah. Um, and what's he saying? He's saying nits. <laughs> There's a speech bubble to the right, and it yeah. says nits with a ca- with an explanation point. Uh-huh. Um, exclamation point. Sorry, not an explanation point. That would be good though. We'd know more. I'd love an explanation point. <laughs> <laughs> and and the um kind of the speech bubble is in the shocking yellow. And the final thing that I want to say is that that one. This is published by the Gecko Press. Mm-hmm. So just feel that and and, so you both. You know. and two, there's like little on the on the rabbit's ears, there's little like black dots, which I one can one can kind of assume is other nuts. Yes, the nuts. Yeah. Um and that's why he's looking up. He's going, Yeah, oh, he's like, oh no, nuts. there's nuts in my ears. Yeah. Yeah. But again, not obvious that it's nuts. Could just be like a little bit of dirt. Um, do you think this is like fair? a? Do you think this is a short fiction? Do you, or do you think it's like a a, a a children's story? So this made me think that this was. I reckon this is like one in a series of like children's stories. I think that's Pooh Bum. That's Pooh Bum. I reckon the rabbit is Pooh Bum. The Great Pooh Bum Conspiracy. Yeah, Pooh Bum has nuts. <laughs> that's see, what I think. I see this as a standalone, like um, for for an age group of like seven to nine novella. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like it's a book form, just yeah. because of how tall and slim this is. Interesting, yeah, you yeah. Know? No, I, I would see something yeah. more square for a storybook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I also think that the kind of style of of illustrating really gives me like one black and white illustration per page. Oh, okay. But it's you know it's a young adult, not a young adult, a child, like a a kid, kind of baby's first book, you know, baby's first novel, mm-hmm. but it's like ten not- pages, yeah, you know, and it's mostly pictures, and yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. I've read it. And you're like, yes, you did. And you're like, yes, slay, you did. little girlie. Yeah. What do you think happens in this book? I think it has nuts. Me, an empath, yeah. I feel that Pooh Bum has nuts. Mm-hmm. And um, probably that those nuts aren't very accepted by others. Yeah. And that they bring Pooh Bum up quite a lot of shame. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's probably right. I think that the biggest um, hurdle that Pooh Bum will have to overcome yeah. is... Um, his own prejudice against the nuts. Yeah, see, see, but I've got this, I think there's a kind of um, something intersectional here. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think that rabbits get nuts. No. I think they get lice. Which I think is fascinating. Not and lice. I also think, you know, it's, it's yeah, lice. Why, why is he covering himself? Why is yeah, he covering why, his yeah, eyes? it's not his fault. And he's covering his, he's covering he's his failed. feet. He's he is. He's, you know, he's why, covering his, 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 his little feet. beanies. Yeah. Like, like, they're, they're all hidden. You know, there's and not I, much fur for the nuts to attach itself yeah, to. So I know. That's probably quite sh- shameful And for I him. also think it seems to be a tar- – I, I would assume it's a targeted attack. Somebody's put these nuts there because, yeah. you know, he's a rabbit. He's covered in fur. Full yeah. body coverage. It's just on his ears. Now, that gives me kind of somebody's pranked him. I'm scratching and it's my gone head too far. and not because of nuts. You know, it's giving me itching powder. Yeah. I always thought itching powder was going to be a big a big problem when I became a teenager, and it yeah, just I thought it'd be wasn't. constant. Well, I just thought pranks in general would pranks, be a huge I thought pranks problem. would be way bigger. I just thought than everybody would be pranking everybody. People and are I'm way glad too that they tired. don't. I hate pranks. I don't, I want, don't want to be pranked. It's not funny. Don't prank me. Remember my best friend in high school um, pranked me by saying that she was pregnant once, and I was like, "I'm here for you, whatever you need. I love you so much. I'll go to everything with you." And she's like, oh, "I'm kidding," and I was like, "That is not funny." That's and not it was over text. It wasn't a prank. I was like, just stupid. You've just Do been you... really mean to me. Okay, so 
Out of how many poo bums? Yeah. How many of those poo bums are nits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking more that that for five little rabbitsy footsies are covered yeah. up with shame, and two of those rabbits are wearing masks. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's a handful of nuts out of out of out of fifteen shocking pink books. Yeah. Okay. That's how I feel. I see. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I would say eight. Um, Out of what? <laughs> so that really wraps it up here. <laughs> you you can probably really understand where where we're coming from yeah, um, with those ratings. Well, thank you for for bearing with us while we did this kind of experimental. I'm, glad we, I'm, I'm happy about how yeah. this went. I'm glad we did this. Let us know if you like this sort of style um, yeah. of episode, and you know maybe we'll do it in the future. It was a challenge, and I loved that. We love a challenge. We love a challenge. We love sort of pushing ourselves artistically. Challenge accepted, as yeah. the kids say. And <laughs> you know what? Go out yeah. and read a book. Yeah, go And this time, read a translated book. Just read, you know? Yeah. Anyway, and I love you. that, we'll leave you here. Goodbye. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.